You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Ten years ago tonight, a young 21-year-old had aspirations to start a sports talk show. The show debuted at WCWP, a small college radio station in Long Island, New York. Its name was a clever one, one that still sticks to this day, Review and Preview. Throughout the years, faces have changed, but our tradition lives on. As tonight marks a major milestone featuring our 10-year anniversary, we turn back time and speak with those individuals who cemented their legacy and made this show what it is today. This is Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my co-host, Kyle Russo. Kyle, how's it going tonight, my friend? Great to have you here for this very historic episode. It's going good, Tom. It's crazy to think about that 10 years ago. Absolutely insane. I was I was 11. I wasn't. I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life moving forward. I was 11 years old 10 years ago, but this is crazy. 10 years celebrating this brand and where it started and, and where it's gone to, it's been absolutely incredible to be part of it. You were 11. I was 16. So there you go. We were very young. And a quick comment from Mark Mistretta. Mark is here. Mark, how are you? Thank you very much for joining us on the stream. We have a lot in store for you and the rest of the folks watching here tonight on Facebook Live. Make sure to go follow us on Facebook at Review Preview Sports. Like our page if you haven't done so already. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Review and Preview Sports and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We're very close to 100 subscribers. And Kyle, it's been interesting lately. We've been racking up more guests, but without these individuals we're bringing on tonight, we're not here those guests aren't here, and our team isn't here. So I want to start off with the man himself who started uh, Review and Preview, Johnny Montalbano, who currently lives in South Carolina. Johnny, how's it going, my friend? Hey, Tom, I'm doing great. Uh, happy anniversary, guys, because, you know, you're a part of this too. So we have to say to all and to everybody that's helped make this show what it was. You know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, 10 years ago – I was really looking – I was my goals were uh, trying to be in the radio TV industry. And, uh, you know, I have to give a big shout-out and big thanks to uh, Dan Cox over there at LIU Post because uh, he was the one that gave me an opportunity to uh, be a part of the radio station. And I had a couple of other guys who I started with 10 years ago tonight, Jason Geiser and Joe Bochi, which we have to give them uh, congratulations and thanks to because they helped – start this uh, crazy show of ours. And, you know, it's, it's wild because when we, when we had the idea of the show, I originally had the name of the show review and preview. I thought about it, you know, as a segment and they had said to me, well, why don't we just make it the name of the show? 
You know, we're on once a week. That's how it started. We started on Wednesday afternoon, 10 years ago today. And we said, why don't we just make it the name of the show? And it, it really worked because it was on Wednesday, which during football season is a perfect day where you start to transition from week to week. And so we said, all right, let's just, let's do it. We go football, baseball, we do all different kinds of sports. And then I came with a line that review and preview was, and still is to this day, the show that reviewed the week that was and previewed the week that will be in the world, in the world of sports. And here we are 10 years later. And yeah, things have changed. Times have changed. I mean, look, I'm in South Carolina. I never thought that was going to be the case, but here we are. It's crazy. That day itself, September 14th, 2011, Johnny and your two buddies had this idea to start this show. And we do have another comment from Mark, a friend of Johnny's in South Carolina. Hello, Mark. Hey, Mark. Mark, so glad you're feeling better. Uh, Mark was uh, in the hospital. He had uh, was not feeling he had COVID and uh, he actually just got out a couple of days ago. So, so great to hear from him. So glad he's doing so much better. It's uh, definitely been been nuts. But I will say I'll throw this back at you guys real quick. I guess COVID has allowed you guys to at least keep the show going from home, albeit, again, different, not being in a studio and everything, but you still got it going strong. No, thank you for that. Um, And then Kyle, myself, and James, who's not here tonight, we'll show a video clip from him shortly before we bring up Brian. This was the longest-running sports talk show at WCWP. And once the pandemic hit, we decided we had a fourth co-host at the time who we'll hear from later as well. Mm-hmm. who brought us to this Facebook platform. And we're here today because of him, because of you guys. And now we've kind of grown our social media, our media presence. And we've gone from guests like Eamon McEnany from the Mets, Matt Perino, a beat reporter from the Buffalo Bills. Kyle, I know we've had on. Lance Meadow of Sirius XM, Giants oh, Radio awesome. Network. Yeah. And Johnny, you started this whole idea and it's led us to this point so again i know it may sound a little repetitive but we couldn't thank you enough here for joining us tonight and more comments are coming in john rankin i am here let's go thomas shout out john rankin originally (laughs) from pennsylvania all the way out in vegas now so and he's he is a steelers fan so uh but i'm sure your town was crazy last night for that vegas raiders monday night football game but um johnny I want to ask you, what was your favorite review and preview moment? Obviously, you were host from 2011 to January of 2015. But if you remember a favorite moment, what would it be? Well, I remember there's a couple of things. Um, Probably my most one of the more memorable moments was this big debate that I had that we got into several years ago about Angel Pagan and the Mets. Now, Pagan, if you remember, was traded to the Giants in a deal that brought another outfielder, Andres Torres, and Ramon, if I remember correctly, reliever Ramon Ramirez to the Mets. And I remember me and my co-host at the time, Jason Geyser, Joe Voce, got into a huge debate about the trade. I thought the trade at the time was fantastic because who they got back in Ramon Ramirez, who was basically a throw-in in that trade, if you remember, uh, was had, had one of the best ERAs in baseball at the time of the trade. And Angel Begon to me was somebody who defensively was not that great, offensively was average. And we just got into this big debate about, you know, who's better, Begon or Torres. And I was not a big Angel fan at the time. I liked Ramon Ramirez. I 
was a throw in at the trade. I thought that was a steal. Obviously, the trade did not work out for the Mets, but we got into this whole big debate. And I remember as we were in the break, we were still debating this. And just as we were getting ready to move on, I brought some little mark into it, and they were going insane about it. And then we came back at the time and debated this thing for minutes and minutes uh, throughout the show. And I thought, and it was like, wow, we spent a whole amount of time talking about Angel Pagan. This was not a superstar. This was an average ball player at best. And when you look at it back then, I still would have made the trade. Obviously, it didn't work out. And then there was one other big debate that we got into. And, Tom, maybe this – we'll uh, see if you can take my side on this one. Mario Manningham, when he left the Giants, we got into a big debate about, you know – I, there was a there was a comment that the Giants were actually a classless organization for not bringing him back because of the MV, because he made that remarkable catch and I'm and I'm like he's a third string receiver that was getting paid first string money when he left the Giants and I'm like so wait so anybody who's the MVP of the Super Bowl or MVP of a team if they don't resign him is classless so that means the Yankees were classless in 2010 for not resigning Hideki Matsui after his 09 World Series I mean it just it was a huge debate that we got into. So that regard, those were memorable moments on air. I would say also two more, two more quick ones that really stick out to me. I was actually on the air the day that the Boston Marathon bombing happened. Really? And, you know, you, you wonder, and that's a very tricky thing. And I remember we did not talk about it that day because there was so much information. You know, when the breaking news stories like that happen, it's tough because you hear all different kinds of things. And I was just not going to go talk about something that was still developing. It was when you get all different sorts of things, that was difficult. And one other one real quick, and I'll let you guys go on from this. The other one that really stuck out to me, 10 minutes before we got on the air one day, I saw I was getting ready to post, you know, that a show was coming up. And there's a picture of my house with a for sale sign. And that was just the start of something that we were getting ready to move down here to South Carolina. I knew it was happening, but just to see that before it came on the air 10 minutes, it was probably one of my toughest shows to do was to try and get get away from that and try and, uh, you know, try and do a show that day when I knew we were going to be moving down here eventually. But now it's turned out to be the best thing for me personally, although I miss doing this every week. But for me personally, it's definitely uh, worked out well. Absolutely. Kyle? Yeah, that was it. It's a lot, you know, to hear where the show came from. You know, Tom and I, we, Tom knows this when I, when I say this, we've had plenty of debates before. Some, some have been heated and some, but they've been memorable. And then we gotten through that together. And so many memories that we've made, not just, you know, from going online the way that we've been the last year and a half now, from being in the studio, meeting every Fridays to Thursdays at one point when I was interning at, uh, at LIU Post and, you know, Tom had asked me just a random call, random text out of nowhere uh, uh, on one night. Hey, do you want to be in tomorrow and co-host? And here I am three years later, still being a part of the show and what it's evolved into. So a lot of memories and a lot of great times that I've been able to establish these last three plus years here on Review and Preview. And I remember when you were a high school intern, now you're a senior at Hofstra. So you've come a long way. In Crazy. Right as well. You Crazy. Yeah. Johnny, by the way, do you remember your last show on as the host of Review and Preview, do you remember, like, vaguely maybe? I, I do because it was uh, a very uh, emotional time because I loved doing what I was doing there. And 
again, you know, being in TV or radio, that was ultimately my goal in life. And to know that I was moving to South Carolina from New York, which I love being in Long Island, New York. I, I loved it. I loved going to New York City all the time. Of course, now, not now, but back then I loved it. Um, and, you know, to say goodbye to it, I made a lot of great friends over there at, at LIU Post and at the radio station. And I remember, you know, it was a sh- we did the show as normal. I, I saved a couple of minutes just to say thank you to everybody. And, uh, yeah, it was it was tough because it was also right in the – it was right during the uh, NFL playoffs. We actually – I remember – we moved when we moved down here. We drove the Sunday in between the conference championship and the Super Bowl, and it kind of. And I have to be honest, it was, it stunk not to be on the air. You know that Wednesday, getting ready for the Super Bowl at the time. So I do remember it quite well. Uh, I have a good photo of it, um, and I just I miss it. But I'm I'm happy to be where I am right now, and I'm very proud of where this show has gone in the last ten years. And here's to many, many more. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I'm I'm proud to say that we've expanded our team. Last year, we were three at the end of the summer. Now we're up to 10. So 10 members, as in we have like four or five different shows on our brand. We're literally, literally having a show on Review and Preview Sports every single night where, you know, we kind of have to explain to people now, it's Review and Preview Sports. That's our brand. This is the yeah. Review and Preview show. This is our, this is the main show you know this is the og i guess you would call it um but yeah like it's been 10 years and you know before i bring up brian i just want to show a video of another person who's been a big factor of our show as well he's still currently on the show was supposed to be here tonight but he couldn't and that's james montefusco and here's what james had to say about his first three years on review and preview Hey guys, James here from Review and Preview. Tom asked me to do a short video of myself explaining why Review and Preview means so much. It means so much to me um, because I'm able to talk sports with friends that I developed through college and still have today. It also has exposed me to a lot of different other avenues I can explore within life. Um, starting a podcast with Tom, you know, um, learning from him from the radio station to now being virtual is huge phenomenal having fun with it also sitting down once a week if not more to talk to tom and kyle about sports um also being almost the head honcho tom is so i'm second in command in in a sense however we want to talk about it um it's great being part of something that we're growing hopefully be a big brand one day enjoying it making great content for you guys i know it's our 10 year anniversary i'm glad i'm glad to be part of it it's so much fun that you guys need to keep forward, keep looking forward to it. Alrighty, I got to go back to work. So I will talk to you guys later. Enjoy the 10 year anniversary. Thank you guys. <laughs> By the way, that's James from the Tillis Center at the LIU Post campus. A little, little fun fact right there. So James has been a big part of the show. And I think at this time, there's, there's no better time to introduce our next guest, Brian Marbach. <laughs> What's up, Brian? How's it going? Good. Yeah, I hope everybody can hear me okay. Uh, you know, Johnny, I'd like to say uh, thanks for uh, teaching me the ropes. And I do remember your last show. You you were selling the house. You were you were not you were excited, but you were you were sad to leave the show. And uh, you know, I can't believe it's been ten years already. Oh, I I can't believe I've been down here almost seven. That's that's what's nuts. I mean, that was January 
of 2015. And now I've been down here six and a half, seven years. And I remember Brian, Brian was great. And because, uh, you know, not only did we share the same teams that we liked, we shared the same passion, we were energetic. And, you know, Brian was somebody that wanted to get into this field as well. And you know what? We, we taught him well. And he, when I left, he took over and did a fantastic job. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to get emotional, <laughs> but it's 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 been it's it's been a ride, and it still is. And well, the show has changed so much because I think I was on the show with you, me, and and, and Charlie Moeller. I think I did about four or five. If I did seven or eight shows, it was a lot. And then you moved and said, "Okay, Brian, you're the host." And in those days, we didn't have an engineer. You know, right. it was just it was just us. And then uh, it was me. It was Charlie and I. And, uh, you know, and I was green. I, I was still learning how to use the board and trying to host the show and do the board and do everything. And, uh, you know, but we made it work. And, you know, and I still remember Kyle. I mean, Kyle, you were in high school. Yeah. You know, and for after Johnny left um, Thomas McNamara, who will be coming on later, you know, I reached out to him. We had some trouble getting people on the show. That's when the sports department at Post was very small. And within one semester, we went from two people to, you know, we couldn't let people on the show. We only had four microphones in the studio. We would have seven or eight um, <laughs> interns and people sitting in the studio all wanting to come on, you know, and it was great. And we had, uh, you know, Greg would sit there and do the stats. And we went from, you know, trying to get bodies in there to in about two or three months to, you know, okay, well, we can't let you on the show, but you can sit in and listen. And uh, it's just, it's a testament to, to Johnny, how you taught me. And uh, I was thrown to the wolves quickly, but uh, I mean, I totally missed it, but it's been 10 years now. And, you know, in the shows that, you know, I, Tom, I remember, I remember meeting Tom. Uh, I, I'd been, Tom was the play-by-play announcer. I think Tom, you were in your junior year, I think at post. And uh, we had our first staff meeting. We were doing the, uh, the the post football, and there was only about two or three of us doing it in those days, too, small staff. And I said, hey, Tom, you want to come on the show? You know, I met you, and I think I think my, my first, after five minutes of meeting you, Tom, I was like, please come on my show because, you know, we needed some bodies, and uh, we needed uh, knowledge and people who had passion for sports. And, and 10 years later now, Tom's taken this to a whole new level that I can't even believe. Yeah, uh, I, I I appreciate that. Unfortunately, I do have some bad news. Tommy won't be making it tonight. He texted me saying he has a personal matter to tend to. But he did leave this message for you, Brian. Um, he said, tell Brian, thanks for the opportunity that I never thought I would have. I enjoy being a part of a small show uh, or a small part of the show. You guys have done a great job of bringing the show to a new level and should be proud of yourselves. And just so you know, I'm going to quickly share a picture of Tommy, the Mac McNamara, as we like to call him, so you could all see what he, he looked like. And, uh, yeah, you guys were very committed to this show. There's not many people I know that would commute out from the Hamptons, almost, to Nassau County to host a sports talk show. This really showed me your dedication your passion to review and preview. And that's why I wanted to be a part of it. I knew that you guys took this show very seriously. And, you know, I mean, 10 years, guys, wow. it, it's just, it's insane what we've done. 
it's funny. I was literally just about to say that. I, I That was one thing I was going to add was Brian's passion for doing this was really shown because he did commute several, uh, like two hours for, uh, round uh, go, coming and going all the way out from the Hampton to do this. And I know that he, and you could tell when he entered the studio that he was ready to, ready to do the show. And I know I threw him a curveball when I, when I left, but he, I mean, he took charge of it and, and you could definitely tell. Well, that's why I remember going into Dan Cox one day and saying, Dan, do you mind if we do a two hour show? Because I was spending three hours <laughs> in the car and an hour on air. I'm going, wait, you know, we, we have to try to get a little more time. I don't know if a lot of you guys know that, uh, Tommy Mack and myself, we played football against each other. We hadn't seen each other in 35 years. Our our parents are best friends. And when he came on the show, Tommy and I played, we played for rival high schools together. We played football against each other. Of course, we won. But you know, <laughs> but that's how uh, that's how him and I got connected. You know, we hadn't been connected. And I said, hey, you want to come do a talk show with us? And, uh, you know, we're the, we were the old guys of the show. But we, we played football. We played high school football and baseball, by the way. And, and he didn't play basketball. But, you know, we played all sports together. And then here we are 30 years later doing a talk show together. You know, small world. A very small world. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'll remember about Tommy that I know Brian and Kyle will both at least remember. I'm not sure about Johnny, but Tommy always had a notepad with him and a pen yep. for every show. And every time anybody said something that was slightly not out of line, but like something bold, he would write it down. And like eight weeks later, he'd flip back into his notebook. Oh, by the way, you said this on this date and this happened. So, <laughs> ha ha, joke's so, on you. So he started, he did old takes exposed before the old takes exposed. Then he was, he was holding people accountable, <laughs> holding people accountable. The prediction, and it was something that I said, and I was usually 95% wrong. And he always made sure that he wrote it down to let me know, ha ha, Brian, you didn't get that one right. I said, okay, you got me. But so, in all fairness, you know, he was a great addition to the show. Absolutely. We've had plenty of people throughout the years, Griffin Ward, Greg Vavernick. We've had plenty of guys, but the four of us here right now, let's focus on the four of us before we bring up Greg Vavernick. There's one team that all four of us have in common. I believe all three of you are Giants and Yankees fans, right? I know I'm Giants Mets, so I'm a little different, but we're all Giants fans. And I was at the game on Sunday against the Denver Broncos, which sad enough Uh, before Sunday, I was 3-0 and all time at Giants games. So it was sad to see my first loss in person. But uh, what do you think about this football game? Johnny, I'll, I'll start I'll start with you here uh, You know, as kind of like the head of the head honchos. Um, the Giants did not look good in this football game. There, there were some pros, but the cons heavily outweighed the pros. And it's concerning now that we have Washington on a short week. Yeah, Tom, the only thing I'll say is I'm not trying to overreact after one game. Trust me. I mean, you can ask uh, my friends. I was not happy uh, on Monday. But, you know, the it was the only thing that really frustrated me. I wasn't – I'm not going to overreact to Sunday. But, you know, it's the same story for the last couple of years now. You know, it's Daniel Jones fumbling the football. It's the offense that just can't get anything going, with, even when they're in the red zone. It's lack of red zone efficiency. It's – the fact that defense cannot get off the field on third and fourth down, you know, it's the fact that, and I know Denver's defense is very good, and I knew that was going to be a problem for this team. But, I mean, this is, it's Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, this is not the Teddy Bridgewater of five, six, seven years ago. I mean, it, the way that this team was documented in the offseason, you know, all these offensive additions, 
The thing that maybe was a bit concerning is the fact that they didn't really play a whole lot in the preseason. And I don't really know. It's, it's such a tricky thing, the preseason, but you know, this is a team that was expected to score 30 points a game. This was a team that we thought defensively got better, but you know, this is a very big year because let's be honest, the giants have two first round picks next year in the draft. If they do not get it done this year with the NFC East, which in my opinion is still not that great at the division, then you know what? Gettleman will be gone. Daniel Jones, I hate to say it, is I've been defending him. He'll be gone. They'll go in another direction. I mean, they've got weapons on offense. They've got good receivers. They've got a tight end. They still have potentially, potentially an explosive running back that hopefully can stay on the field. You know, and, it's, and a division that's not that great, in my opinion. And this should be a team that gets going. And maybe the best thing for them is that they are playing on a short week. They are playing a team that right now is going to be without their starting quarterback for several weeks in Ryan Fitzpatrick being out and got Heineke going in. I, I think the Giants are going to rebound on Thursday against Washington. But we cannot go 0-2 again to start the year. Yeah. No, I agree. It's been it's been way too often that zero and two has happened. I want to acknowledge Hank's comment. He was at the game with me on Sunday. Happy ten years. Thank you very much, Hank. And there's a reason getting off the field is the key to the game that I always stress. He agrees with you there, Johnny. Uh, Kyle Russo, I want I want your thoughts on this game because I know you and I usually talk a lot about Giants games, but I know we've both been so busy. I don't even think we've had the chance to talk about it. Uh, what were your general thoughts on? on this game because from somebody who was in person watching this football game, Teddy Bridgewater was picking apart the middle of the field and that's all Denver needed to do. I mean, the whole team just looked lazy. I think Blake Martinez had a very bad game. Maybe not a very bad game, but he made a very bad play on that missed tackle that led to a touchdown and Daniel Jones, you got to hold on to the football. That's it. You know, he had more good plays than bad in this game but unfortunately people are going to remember the bad plays. It's just, you know what it's simply stated as this is it's the same thing, different year. It's just the same thing consistently. I saw something today. Let me pull it up real quick. That might've been one of the saddest things that I've heard about this team. And this team has been upsetting me for a while now. 31 of 32 teams in the NFL have had a winning record at one point during the season since 2017. The only team that hasn't is the New York Giants. The Giants have not had a winning record for one week since 2017. Not for one week. This is three years of football now. Not one time have they ever had an above 500 record. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. And we keep on talking about it, Tom. We butt heads before this, you know, many times. Who's to blame? What's to blame with this team? I look at the offensive line. You had two atrocious blown assignments, but you know what? Von Miller at this point in his career is the remaining, or I believe he leads the league in sacks in terms of active players left in the league. So granted, again, you don't want to miss an assignment like that, but he's one of the best pass rushers of all time. So you got to live with it. But then you have a play like Daniel Jones. You're in the red zone again. It's like you could script this at this point. In, with inside the 20-yard line, runs the ball seven yards, fumbles it. And it sucks the life out of you. It sucks the life out of you as a fan, and I guarantee you it sucks the life out of every single player on that roster because it loses all hope. And essentially that's what happened. They forced the ball over. It was 17-7 at that point in time, and then 
Melvin Gordon just absolutely torched him for a 70-yard run, and the game was over. And, Tom, I, I wanted to ask you this because I heard it on TV. I just wanted to know if it was real, if you actually stayed for it. The pathetic, I don't even want to count the 13. It's not 13. It was seven points the Giants scored in that game. They were booing, were they not? The fans were booing in the stadium because I was I, hearing booing. All I heard was the Denver fans just cheering. I mean, I know Denver travels well. They're actually a really cool fan base to sit with, by the way. They're they're not obnoxious like a lot of these other fan bases. But, I mean, it was I couldn't even hear the boos because the Broncos fans were, were just louder than the Giants fans. All the Giants fans left when there was like six minutes in the game. I'm sure people were, were booing, and I did hear some boos, but I didn't hear a whole lot of boos because that's how well the Broncos were playing. They, they just – they were more energized than we were, and rightfully so. I mean, Denver won this game fair and square, and I want to get to Brian's thoughts here, but all in all, one thing we didn't mention was the play calling by Jason Garrett was atrocious yet again. I mean, I understand you have to limit the playbook a little bit due to Saquon Barkley's durability factor at the moment. I think the biggest thing about this game is that he came out of this healthy. But, Brian, what did you think of Barkley in his first game back off the ACL tear and the rest of this football team? I didn't see enough from Barkley to really, uh, you know, say too much. I mean, he didn't have he didn't have a lot of opportunities. When he had a couple, he picked up a couple good yards. I saw him put his head down a couple times, get the three, four tough yards, which is which is good. Most of the time, there was there was, uh, you know, defensive lineman in his backfield, so he didn't really have much to do. He did drop a pass or two. The play calling for me is what has to go. Listen, Kyle, what you said. It's been three years now with Daniel Jones. Every time he takes off and runs, he's got a 50% chance of fumbling the ball. It's yep. time for him to stop running. The RPO needs to go in the back pocket because I saw them do that too many times, kind of not fully committed to it. Let's go in the shotgun. Let Jones go back and sling it. This RPO, I don't think is fooling anybody. And every time he runs, he fumbles anyway. So I don't really like them doing the RPO. I, I don't think it's – and then they, they ran it a lot. And I think it takes – I think it, it takes the decision-making a, a little easier for Jones, but I don't think it gives him enough time to make a read. And I just don't think he's very comfortable doing it. And, uh, you know, and the defense. The defense did not look good. That was our bread and butter last year, the defense. But once again, our defensive problems for the last three years have been covering the tight ends and cover in the middle of the field. And that was exposed tremendously this week. Of course, it took me two days to watch the game. I taped it by the time between work and, and sleep. But I got it all in. I, I shut my alerts off, and I didn't know the score. But uh, I did shut it off after uh, Melvin Gordon ran 70 yards. I will confess I did not watch the last two minutes. But, Kyle, like you said, it's the same old thing. And, I, Tom, what do you think? I think the RPO needs to go in the back pocket. I don't think that's a good offense for the Giants because I don't think he's scaring anybody. The other teams, sure, Jones can run, but he's going to fumble the ball. This is what's a shame, too. Daniel Jones has a cannon of an arm. I mean, you saw the deep bomb he threw to Darius Slayton on the third play from scrimmage. I mean, it takes a defense jumping off sides for you to take a shot 40 yards down the field. I mean, his first completion of the season was a 42-yard pass. And not to mention, it took until the second half to get Kenny Galladay involved. That's what the Giants have to do, especially with a defense like Denver, who 
they have an excellent secondary, but you got to try to attack the middle of the field. It was too often than not the Giants. They were a little bit too committed to the run. And I understand why, because you want to get Barkley the touches. You want him to absorb contact, you know, get him used to being back on the football field. But Daniel Jones, I mean, we all laughed and said not having Evan Ingram would help this offense. As much as I hate Evan Ingram's technique, they missed him. That was one less target that they had. John, I mean, that that's pretty much the bottom line. I don't know where you stand with Evan Ingram. I personally don't like him at all, but they missed him in this game. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Tom. I realized that he was not there, and I was like, all right, so you don't you already won't have any dropped passes. But, you know, it is, he definitely does provide something that the Giants were – we're missing there. It's just another weapon for, for, for Jones. And again, I know it's only one week, but you know, this full slate of receivers, they should be able to score 30 points a game. And, you know, again, it's like you said, it's the same stuff that we've seen from years past. And that's really what the most frustrating thing is. I put it out even on, on Twitter on Sunday. I was like, you know, it's, it's 2021. It's not 2020 anymore. Let's go. I mean, these the days of 20, it's just, I, I, I'm trying not to blow a fuse right now. Like I've done, Brian, we've done this enough times on radio. I know. Uh, blowing fuses about the Giants and stuff. And unfortunately, some things, you know, you change the coach, you change the GM, you change the quarterback, you change a lot about the team. And unfortunately, since we've left, they've become one of, if not maybe the worst teams in football. And that's not the Giants. And that's what's really embarrassing. And it, it, they cannot go into Thursday and lose to, let's be honest, a backup quarterback there in Washington and lose to the divisional opponent and start 0-2 again. My, my thing is this, Johnny, because you just brought up a, a plethora of different things to potentially blame. And this is where it all comes full circle, right, where I think is it's the leading cause. It's the mentality of the Giants organization. They are one of the remaining organizations in football that has the old school mentality. And you don't win with that anymore. You don't run with – you you don't win with gritty defenses. You win with explosive offenses with good defenses. That's how you win football games. Like you, Johnny, you're talking about thirty plus points. The Giants struggled to get into the double digits on Sunday. We're, we're we're aiming for thirty points. It's just not happening. And we're talking about the playbook, and we're talking about how Jason Garrett needs to go. I can't even blame him because when I look at the quarterback in which he has, really pinpoint what does he really really do well. You go to Baltimore, right? You look at you look at Lamar Jackson, electric quarterback, skilled, can throw the football and can run the football, and nobody can nobody could essentially tackle him until he's ten yards down the field. You look at Patrick Mahomes, absolute cannon, accurate beyond belief. Josh Allen, a 6'6", 6'5", 230, 250-plus pound tank running the football and has an absolute unit of an arm. What does Daniel Jones do well? That's the question that I keep on poising to myself and to people who I talk about the Giants and the reality is he really doesn't do much that well he has 40 turnovers in 27 28 career games everybody keeps on talking about if we could get him back to that rookie season of 24 and 12 when the reality is we want to bring up stats and say 24 of 12 two to one ratio you're forgetting the most important number with that season the 18 fumbles that he had with that season too so as much as you thought those 24 touchdowns was helping you those 18 fumbles, those 12 interceptions were absolutely killing you and was the reason why the Giants only won four games that season. Yeah, and, so, and, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
So now we're in year three, right? And the reason why, again, why it becomes even more frustrating is because like that old school mentality, which I just brought up, back in the early 2000s, you were able to have this pinpoint of developing a quarterback, and that was an okay system. Nobody else does that. When I'm watching last year, I'm watching Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Tua Togovailoa in their first year without even a training camp because of COVID-19 look better than Daniel Jones has ever looked. That is angering beyond belief because that's the reality which the Giants' direction should be going towards, and they just don't. They drafted a quarterback from Duke. They drafted a quarterback from Duke who wasn't even great when he was there, who was almost a carbon copy of Eli Manning, who was more athletic but could run the football. But, Brian, like you essentially said, his ability over what we had as a previous quarterback is a liability because he fumbles the football and turns it over every single time he runs it. So essentially, what does he do? I'll poise this question. What does he do that is good when we come into question and say, oh, we need to change the playbook? Change it to what Daniel Jones is good at. What is he good at? What is he good at, essentially? Oh, I can answer that. Mm-hmm. Fumbling. He's yeah. great at fumbling. He, he's good at fumbling and turning it over. The thing that concerns me, too, it, it, it's almost not just him. I just don't really think the Giants are a very good football team. They're good. They, they look pretty good on paper, but they just haven't addressed the issues. But I think you guys can all agree. So I'm going to flip the script and at least take one positive out of this game is that Sterling Shepard had a heck of a ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was about the only bright spot. A healthy Sterling Shepard going forward, hopefully he'll have a good season. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I know he he's owed a lot of money next season and he's the longest tenured giant. So I was really excited to see him do well. I think him and Daniel Jones have good chemistry. I think Shepard leads the team in receptions this year. Uh, you know, I think he's that type of player. He, he's a really fun player to watch. Um, any, any thoughts on Sterling Shepard? And then after him, I, I want to dive into Evan Ingram. Like Brian said, if he could stay on the field healthy, that's that's really the key to all of this, is that we saw, what was it, a season or two ago, I think he had three concussions in one season, and that essentially killed the offense. Now you look at the plethora of weapons that they got, that can only furthermore be an asset to them going forward and help maybe this offense out that, again, struggled to score double-digit points in the first game of the season after everything in which they did in the draft and everything in which they did in the offseason – and it looked like the same old Giants out there on Sunday. Yeah. Well, I think the defense is going to pull it together within the next couple of weeks. I think Judge is going to get them squared away. I mean, you have to remember, too, that the team is rusty. They haven't been out there in a while. I I think it takes a lot quicker for a defense to be mentally prepared than an offense. I mean, I think that's just the way the NFL goes, but – I mean, you can't lose like 20 points to the to the Denver Broncos, and that's that's what we did. Again, we're not counting that last second touchdown. But, uh, Johnny, and I'll start with you here with this question. Is Evan Ingram's time in New York coming to an end? Obviously, he is playing on the fifth-year option, and he is an unrestricted free agent in 2022. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because when you think of Evan Ingram, all you think about are the drop passes, but then you look at – Sunday and he's not out there and it looks like they miss him. So uh, I said before the year that I don't see them, him bring coming back, but you know, it, it's, it's tough to say because you can make the case for him and you can make the case against him. but it's tough to say also, because I think this team's going to have a lot of changes if 
they don't make the playoffs this year or have another very, very bad year. You know, they may not make the – if they don't make the playoffs, but you see some development out of Jones and out of the receivers and out of Ingram, then maybe you can keep those guys going for another year. But if you don't see any development out of those guys, then, you know, let's be honest, the G- gentleman's going to be gone because – just piggyback to what Kyle said a couple of moments ago about the culture and the mentality of the team. I think that starts with Gettleman because he goes out there to those press conferences and tries to sell you on, on Jones and Barkley because he, those are the two guys that his legacy is going to be on. So uh, I think it, to answer your question, is his time coming to an end? I think it depends on what he does this year and what the team's going to be this year because you can go 6-11, and 11, but if you see – if he has a very good year and Jones has a very good year, then you can bring those guys back. But if he has, you know, a season where he's dropping, you know, game go-ahead touchdowns, game, you know, altering touchdowns, then, yeah, he could be done. So, I mean, if you're asking me right now, do I think his time's coming to an end? I do because I don't know how this team's going to be. And, if you know, you don't see any development. I, I think you've got to go in another direction here. Yeah, I mean, I've really liked – Caden Smith for a while now. Now I'm not saying he's he's a tight end one. I think he's more of a good complimentary tight end piece. But I think Ingram, you should try to trade him this this year, especially if you're not going to re-sign him because you have guys like Barkley coming up, Will Hernandez, Lorenzo Carter. Um, you know they're probably going to stick with Jones next year for 2022 because I mean what good quarterbacks are coming out of the draft this year? I mean we, we've seen what the top QBs ha- have done the first two weeks in college and Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler, they, they quite frankly, they, they have not been too impressive. So I do hope that Ingram's time in New York is coming to an end, but as Brian has said time and time again, Evan Ingram is just, he's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde type of player. You love to love him, but you love to hate him. He'll he'll be there for you, Brian. Do you have any final thoughts on Evan Ingram? For well, you? yeah, I do. And and there's one thing that I think in this whole entire conversation that we've all forgotten is is that your best skill and the best asset you can bring to the team is availability. When is the last time Evan Ingram has been healthy for an entire season? The answer to that question is never. So the talent could be there. Um, he was a late scratch for this game. The bottom line is he's always hurt, and when he's there, he produces or he makes a blunder. But for the most part, he's not on the field. And if you can't play in this league, if you can't get on the field and play through injuries, you're not going to last. So, and I agree, if you can even get a third or fourth rounder for him this year, you know, trade him because he's he's never healthy. You know, sure – you know, he'll give you a couple good weeks and then, you know, he'll drop a ball and then two weeks later he pulls a hamstring. He's got a calf injury. You know, uh, it, the list goes on and on. I, I don't know how many – he's he's had to have missed at least every season at least three or four games. I don't have to stack He's it. He's missed a total of with Sunday's game, and I don't think he's going to play Thursday. He's missed right now at this point in time 16 games, so he's missed a full season worth of games. Jeez, oh, that's brutal. Out of what, three Which, years? Which, by the way – About, I think it's, yes, what, four years, five four years? Four or five, yeah, four. This is year five for him now. That's um, five, yeah. This is adding more fuel to the fire. And I'm, I'm not trying to get any of you mad by saying this. We traded away B.J. Hill to the Cincinnati Bengals for that lineman, Billy Price. B.J. Hill had two sacks on Sunday. Yeah. That's, the Giants I mean, as a team had two sacks on Sunday. 
What I worry about with this defense real quick is is how key Dalvin Tomlinson was last year. And I knew it was going to hurt them. Because yeah. if they can't stop the run, that defense is, is not going to be as good as it's going to be. And on top of the fact, not only getting rid of the interior in Dalvin Tomlinson, but the interior in B.J. Hill too, and now putting into the sole factor of Danny Shelton and, and guys like um, – Oh, I'm trying to think who else is in there as well. Dexter Austin Lawrence, Johnson. Austin Johnson, who mm-hmm. were a uh, second, third string guy, or at least Austin Johnson right. was, uh, putting too much heavy dependence upon those guys when you had a clear formula of what a great defense you were. The beginning of the season, they were not a good defense. But I said time and time again, that second half of the season, they were looking like a playoff defense, a Super Bowl caliber defense. Yeah. And they let that key chemistry go, and I hope that they're able to get it back. And this is my only counter argument to that. Are you going to pay a defensive tackle 12 to 13 million? Or what they did was they allocated that money 5 million towards two players in Johnson and Shelton, and then improved in other areas of the team. In hindsight, you saved 7 million on the defensive tackle position, which historically is a position that the Giants do not keep. But I am in agreement with you that I would have preferred to have seen Dalvin Tomlinson stay. Unfortunately, due to the financial climate of this past offseason and the salary cap, unfortunately, that couldn't happen. I think he was a casualty of the financial climate. I think that's the bottom line. But before we bring up Greg Bavernick, I want to quickly predict the Washington game on Thursday and each of us to give a record prediction for the Giants this season. It doesn't have to be your preseason. It could be your updated, how you feel right now. But first, um, let's predict this Washington game. The Washington football team, they come in 0-1 as well, back-to-back home games. They're without Fitzpatrick, hip and rib issues. He's on short-term IR. So is Curtis Samuel, one of their big free agent acquisitions. He will be unavailable for them as well. But one player who played really well for the Giants on Sunday quietly was Andrew Thomas. He had the best pass protection grade on PFF among this offensive line. Take that how you want because it is PFF, but Thomas looked pretty good, and he's going to be going up against Chase Young on Thursday night. So, Brian, I'll start with you here. Who's winning this football game, and what's your score prediction? Part of me wants to say that the Giants might squeeze it out, you know, 17-14, to 20-17, but Historically, the last three years, where have the Giants gone? Oh three, oh four. They, you know, that's why they haven't had a winning record, like Kyle said. In the last, and how many years? It's because they don't start well. They do not start seasons well. And look what they did this past Sunday. That's that's probably their worst opening day that I've seen in about five years. So, I just don't think that the pass rush is going to be able to be stopped by by, by the Redskins. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, like Kyle, you said, you know, I, we always hear all these, the Giants are going to score 30 points. When the heck are the, when, when does that happen? The Giants aren't scoring 30 points anytime soon. I just don't, uh, I don't see it happening. You know, Washington has, with Hankey, has a viable backup. I'm going to say the Giants are going to keep it close. Um, they're not, they're, but they're, they're, they're going to fall a field goal short. I'm going to Go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Johnny. When did the Giants score 30 points? It's not often, but I will say this. It's twofold. Yes, the Giants don't do well against the NFC East. The NFC East is still, in my opinion, not a great division. 
And I think, though, going into D.C., which is one thing the Giants can do, they usually go into D.C. and they do win. I think the short week actually is to their benefit. I think they will correct some things. I don't like Heineke in this matchup. I think the Giants are going to bounce back. I think they are going to get to 30, and I think they're going to win convincingly 30-17. to I I just think that they're going to be angry off that game on Sunday. And I think going into Washington, which is a place they've actually been comfortable, I'm actually more comfortable the Giants going to D.C. than – if the Giants were home, because the Giants don't win at MetLife. It's, it's crazy to say that. They're almost more comfortable being on the road, and I think going into Washington on a short week is probably the best thing for them, and I think they will bounce back 30-17. to 17. And as far as for them, for the, do you want me to give you the season prediction too if you want? Yeah, sure, you give the season prediction. I, I, I think you're going to think I'm crazy, but I said before the year, I think the Giants are a nine-win team, and nine or ten wins might be able to win this division. And just looking at what I saw in the in the NFC East this week, and I don't want to go all based off one week. I'll go off of what I was saying before the season. Yes, Dak is back in, in Dallas, but I don't like that defense. I think Dallas will be there. I'm not sold on Philadelphia, and I'm not sold on Washington. Washington won a division with six or seven wins last year. I mean, it's they're not they might win six or seven again this year, but I don't think that's going to be enough. I think the Giants have actually the talent to win this division if they can get everything together, and that's going to take some time. But I think they do bounce back on a short week against Washington. And I think they will win a 30 to 17. And I think they will win nine wins this year. And I and Brian will tell you, we've done enough shows together to know we are we are not optimistic people. We are realistic, but we are not optimistic. But I, I think <laughs> this sure. year is a different with our teams. And I think the Giants are gonna bounce back. Give me the Giants 30 to 17. Give me the Giants nine and eight on the season. And uh Tom, if you're listening, you can write that down too, and we'll replay that after the year. No, he will. <laughs> Kyle, you're up. I'd, I think this short week is going to hurt them a lot. I think it's not enough time to fix all these problems that we ran into on Sunday. And I think that, you know, looking at this game, you know, what are the Giants essentially going to do well? They gave up 100 yards rushing before Melvin Gordon even had the 70-yard run. So they can't stop the run, uh, can't stop tight ends for the life of them. And Logan Thomas has been a very good uprising tight end these last couple of years for the Washington football team. Uh, having Antonio Gibson there, I think he's going to be a Swiss Army Knife player. On top of the fact we talk about Andrew Thomas doing so well, didn't have Bradley Chubb on the other side of the ball with Von Miller. Now you have Jonathan Allen, De'Aaron Payne, uh, Chase Young, all those guys on the defensive front. That's going to be a real testament to how good this offensive line can potentially be and how good uh, Andrew Thomas can be. And again, with that secondary that Washington has, even though Taylor Heineke, you know, people like to knock him. Taylor Heineke played a better game against Tom Brady in the playoffs than Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers did last year. Just want to put that out there. So I think the Washington football team is actually going to win this game this week on the short week, take advantage of the fact the Giants, like themselves, are on the short week as well. I think they're going to wind up winning this game close, though, like uh, like Johnny and Brian both said. I think it's going to wind up being somewhere around 27-20 to 20 in Washington's favor. Do you have a record prediction for the season? Record prediction for the season: seventeen games. Now I think they're going to go six and eleven. I think that it's. I think they're going to go six and eleven. They got a rough, like Brian said, this team does not start well in the beginning of the season, and their beginning of the season, the matchups in which they face is not very kind to them. All right, so I like to be optimistic, but after seeing what I saw Sunday at MetLife, had an awful rebound last night at the Mets game. By the way, that that was gruesome. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, is ready to rip Rojas's ear off. Anyway, um, 
The Giants historically perform very well against Washington, but I have Washington actually winning this football game, which may shock Kyle Russo. But um, oh, I saw, I saw. I was surprised. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have Washington winning 17 to 14. I think Jones has a better game. Barkley's not there yet. It's a short week. This Giants team looked awful on Sunday. Um, and as far as my record prediction goes, I predicted 10 and 7 before the season. Now I think they're lucky to get to nine and eight. They're lucky to get to nine and eight. And the reason why I say that, I think Joe Judge has a chance. You, you know, the defense is going to turn around, right? We know the defense is going to be in the upper tier of the league as far as defenses are concerned. I think it's going to take them a few weeks. And I think Judge will get the guys ready and be competitive, which is why I think, you know, it's fair to have some hope. But, Brian, I want to hear your record prediction. I think we forgot to get your record prediction. So part of me thinks that eventually the offense has just got too much talent to not finally get it together. I think, you know, we have more talent on the ball than, than we've had in the last five or six years. Barkley is going to get healthy. Eventually they're going to figure it out. Defensively is where I'm concerned because losing Thomason and Hill, losing, you know, the core of our defensive line, I think is going to be a bigger loss. And I think that was, that was made present Sunday and that we have no pass rush. We, we have none, you know, and we made Teddy Bridgewater look like Fran Tarkington out there. Um, and I, so I think the defense is going to take a step back. And I don't think the offense is going to be able to take three steps forward. I'm going to go 7-11. and 11. I just uh, – 7 uh, and 7-10, you mean? I mean 7-10, and 10, excuse me. You know, the, 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 the whole game has me thrown off. Messes, messes everybody I just up. don't Man, think – These comments are depressing. I just don't think I, – I don't I don't even think going to get to 8-9. You know, I almost think six or seven wins is going to be max now. I just don't think they're very good this year. All right. Sounds good. So we all have that in. Johnny, before we let you go tonight, is there anything you would like to add? 10-year anniversary of Review and Preview. It's been such a fun ride. Um, I know you started this whole ship, so I, I want you to pretty much say whatever you want now at this time and what this evening has meant to you personally. Can we go back to 10 years ago? Because that's when the Giants won the Super Bowl. That was the year 2011-2012 when uh, the Giants won uh, won Super Bowl 46. Boy, if we can only go back to those days. No, listen, in all seriousness, I mean, this this is what make, was made this show great. You know, we had great co-hosts. I mean, let's see if I can rip off all the, rip the names. Brian, Tom, Kyle, thank you guys. Uh, I got to thank Jason Geyser and Joe Voci. You know, uh, Ross Perlow Hansen, who I was with, uh, Mark Grossman, uh, Charlie Muller, Brian, you know, all the guys that I was able to work with and who I listen to every week, you know, they're, they're great on the air. They're also great off the air. And that's what's helped make this show such a success. You know, the chemistry, you know, the fact they were able to, you know, and also the New York sports teams, you know, they give us a lot to talk about and that helps too. I mean, I, we, we definitely had a lot to talk about and that helps as well. And I just want to say thank you guys for inviting me back. Uh, it feels like it was, it's been day one cause it's been a while, but, uh, it's been great, and uh, here's to many, many more years. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it, Brian. Great, great seeing you again. Uh, you know, some things. You know, some things haven't changed, but some things have changed. Look, the Knicks are actually going in the right direction. Tom, Kyle, one thing. We, Brian, in the eight weeks, I'll give you a quick story here. Brian, in the weeks that he was with me, the two things we seemed to talk about the most were the Giants and the Knicks, and they were always depressing because they would not win. The Giants won the first year. The Knicks actually were good that first year, that second year. 
And now it looks like they're finally turning a corner too. But boy, those those were some very tough times walking into the studio, having to try and do a show. And it seemed like it was kind of boring because we were talking about the same stuff, but it was always rough. But that's what also made it fun because we were able to vet our frustrations and, you know, talk about it. Absolutely, Johnny. I know we'll have you back on again soon to talk some Knicks, talk some Giants. We really appreciate you coming on, and we hope you have a great evening. Enjoy the rest of the show. And, um, yeah, thanks a lot, Johnny. Thanks for everything. Tom, thank you. Kyle, thank you. Brian, great seeing you again. Great seeing you, Johnny. Do well. Take care, Johnny. Okay. Have a good one, man. That was Johnny Montalbano from South Carolina. And at this time, we're going to bring up our next guest of the evening. He was a co-host for two to three years on the show. Greg Vavernick from Long Island, New York. Greg, I had to pull up that picture of you there. Um, Wow, you could have you could have grabbed a better picture, man. I'm not the big. That's one of the pictures from uh, the studio that I'm actually not a fan of. <laughs> oh God, really setting a lower standard for me for uh, with the entrance here. How you guys doing? Good, man. How you doing? Can't complain. Well, Jets lost, so that I can't complain about. But <laughs> yeah, at least you weren't at the game like Tommy Mac, and at least you scored some points. I know that was. Um, it's funny. That was one of the digs that uh, one of my friends, that's also a fellow Giant fan, was making to me because uh, he was, you know, talking trash in our group chat all throughout the game, and he was saying, "Oh, the Jets are terrible," and then go figure. When the time comes when the Giants come on and they're only able to put up a touchdown the whole game, I'm like, oh, how the tables have turned. Uh-huh. But um, you know, it's. Loss, it's never fun to lose. watch a team lose, but, you know, it's there are still some positives to take away from that game, so I really can't complain. And, I mean, also, I should have said this at the very beginning, but I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> no problem. And I know you and I joined at the same time, and I know Tommy had to back out last minute tonight, but he did leave Brian a message before, which we did tell him, as you can see in the script, really enjoyed the opportunity working with all of us. But now it's time to reminisce a little bit. Um, uh, before we kind of dive into this Jets game, about some of our favorite hot takes on the show throughout the course of the years. We've had some very high moments. We've had some very low moments. And there's been quite a few times where things have gotten very heated. I know it was split down the middle back when it was the four of us, two Giants and two Jets fans. So we always butted heads about that. But at the end of the day, we both suck. And that's that's one common bond that I think we could all cherish and enjoy. And that's that's what makes the sports talks fun. No, I think for two really bad football teams as of late over the past decade, since the Giants won the Super Bowl and the Jets had those two AFC championship runs, there's been nothing good to come. And I think what we've been able to produce content wise was perfect. We entertained our audience. And I think that's what we did the best. Yeah, I think that. um for us, there have been plenty of times where we were, I mean, we were still able to make great content as a team, regardless of how, let's put it this, how, how poorly both of our teams have been, at least for football's sake. Because, uh, you know, we've we've had some good things to talk about in New York sports. Because, you know, I mean, granted, we talked about it mildly with hockey and basketball. Because, you know, we had Brooklyn was starting to come around a little bit. And, you know, there's hockey, but, you know. 
we know football and baseball dominate uh, the talk show and really just New York sports in general. Um, but, you know, it was still a good time. We made a lot of good content together. And the the one hot take, I'll, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it, is when I think Brian, when we were doing a tier rank, ranking uh, our top 10 receivers of all time. And I believe <laughs> Brian Chad Ochocinco in his top 10 of all time receivers. And I almost, I almost actually fell out of my chair because I don't think that I in my life will have ever heard of someone putting Chad Ochocinco in their top 10 list. That was actually Griffin. That was Griffin. Who did that? Remember? Oh, that was Griffin. That was Griffin. Who did oh, that. my God. He was a Patriots fan. And when I got the script, I mean, I said, if that's not your, mine, and Tom's, and Tom's, you know, most memorable moment on the show, I don't know what is. That was an, that was an all-timer. That was an all-timer. Oh, my goodness. The last couple of years, because every now and then you think back about, like, those, like, craziest and most random things. I thought this whole time for the last couple of years that that was you. No, that was great. Like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> I can't take him seriously. Because he was the diehard Patriot fan, and, you know, he was a Patriot for a while. And, and that's when uh, I think he changed his name and, and the whole nine yards. And, you know, like you said, when it was there wasn't a lot to talk about, sometimes we had to create things on the show. And we did all those top ten running backs, quarterbacks, and and receivers, and I think we did uh, linebackers or or defensive players. Everything. <laughs> yeah, we did everything. You know, we we uh, we had to make it entertaining, and I think uh, that everybody did a great job of doing that. It's all for the content. Yeah. Yeah. No. Abs- absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I really enjoy the time that we had it now. Over this past year alone, obviously, COVID brought us all home. We couldn't go to the station anymore. It actually brought me home from Connecticut to New York. That 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 was very interesting as well. Um, but we started this virtual platform. We went from three members, Kyle, myself, and James, who isn't here tonight, to as of next week, we'll be up to 10 members putting out four to five shows a week on the brand. So that's really something that you know we kind of pride ourselves in now is that we've grown so much and we couldn't have done it without the two of you, without Tommy, Johnny, Griffin, all the hard work we've put in over the years, there's been a slew of people that have just stuck around and have just constantly made content. And James, who's not here tonight, has been an outstanding producer over over the years. And Kyle, who, when he was leaving his his internship, I was a little sad. I thought, I'm never going to see this guy again. And then one day I'm like, all right, let let me just shoot him a text, see, and see what he's doing. Because you know, I remember he, he he had a brain. He put the cookies on the table, if you guys remember that. And all of a sudden, Kyle's on the show every week, and now he's sitting here four years later from an intern in high school to a senior at Hofstra. So so that's something that's mon- monumental that I think goes unnoticed. But um, anyway, back to the suffering. Let's talk about the Jets. Um, Greg, McKay. <laughs> So the Jets lost 19-14. Mekhi Becton is out four to five weeks with a knee injury, but he really impressed last year in his rookie campaign. What do you think this does to the Jets' offensive line? Do we see any mixing and matching, or how do the Jets go about their formation here? Well, I think um, losing Becton is a huge loss because, you know, he really was – 
even as a rookie, you could see that this guy was going to be a real standout star left tackle to protect Zach Wilson. And, you know, having a great rookie campaign like he did, it sucks that, you know, halfway through the first game of the year, when this team was already battling injuries as it is, to lose a guy with so much promise for, you know, a month when it's, you know, right in the beginning of the year where you really start to kind of get your legs under you, no pun intended, given that he messed up his knee. But, you know, this is the perfect time where you really start to get your legs under you and you start to, you know, get yourself in that rhythm for the rest of the year to really build up a great season for yourself and take that next step becoming what I I think he could be, an all-pro left tackle. And losing him is massive. But I think now, thankfully, the Jets got – thank goodness the Jets at the last minute signed Morgan Moses, uh, formerly of the Washington football team, uh, which I couldn't believe that Moses was even – allowed to walk away from that team because I thought he had a, he was a great uh, right tackle. So I think now the the formation is going to probably just stick to where it is now, except really you just move George Fan out from right tackle, you move him over to left tackle, and then you just put Morgan Moses at his natural position at right tackle, and then the, the guards stay the same, and then you still uh, in the center, everything stays. It's just really move Fan to the left and put Moses in at the right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird offensive line, guys. Um, we've talked about Daniel Jones getting sacked a lot and turning the ball over. Zach Wilson got sacked six times in his debut, so the offensive line is definitely a concern. Again, Greg, I didn't watch the game, so I don't know if those were covered sacks or if they were just pure pressure sacks against the line. But still, I mean, that's not a good number for week one. Hopefully that number improves so that the Jets can be more competitive in these games. But they did make it a great game in the second half. I really like the addition of Corey Davis as well, but one player who I don't even know who this is, Delshawn Phillips, led you guys with 12 tackles. Who is Delshawn Phillips? Your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) (laughs) I've never – the thing with this Jets team is they're so young because if you – actually, if I mean, I know you all are Giants fans, but they put up a a statistic – so at the very beginning of the game, I think it was maybe the Jets' second possession of the game, that the Jets, I think, are the youngest team in the NFL. The average age of the team is 25 is 25 years old. So it's a very young group. So there's a lot of unknown guys on that team that most people don't know because, I mean, let's also be realistic. The Jets have just been so bad that you don't even know who half the starters are on the team as it is. But now that even adding these kind of pieces that they did, you know, it's so you have a bunch of no-name guys that could step up and make plays for you. Now, Greg, speaking of guys uh, that, that stepped up, essentially, talk about seeing Sam Darnold in, a, in, in an opposing uniform on Sunday. It was weird. It was very weird. Yeah. I thought that Darnold was a guy that could be, you know, he – I always saw – I always – he never lived up to the potential. But it's like he was one of those guys where it truly was wrong place, wrong time for him because you always could see it. Like you could see the potential was always there. But with the team that he had around him and the asinine head coach that the Jets had with him, uh, it really was just a very bad situation for him. And I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. He's now – on a fantastic offense with a great head coach, total opposite of what he had in New York. And they have a solid defense too. 
So it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. It's, you know, it's, it sucks that, you know, he's on another team because, you know, you drafted him and you want to see him do well, but you know, I'm always going to be rooting for the guy. And you got Christian McCaffrey on that team as well. Former Jet Robbie Anderson, who had that 57-yard touchdown. That must have been very painful for Tommy in the stands watching that. That um, that hurt just watching it. That hurt just watching it. <laughs> Brian, what are your thoughts on the Jets? Obviously, they played a little bit more competitively than the Giants did. What's your outlook for them this season? Are, are you impressed by what they did in, in the offseason? Because obviously, like us, they made a lot of moves. I didn't get to see too much of the game. But the thing about the Jets is, you know, they're going to have growing pains. Um, you know, they got to stay away from the injuries. But they're young and there's room for potential. Whereas the Giants, I feel like, are put together with a Band-Aid half the time. You know, let's just fill this gap and that gap. So I think there's promise. Um, but if Wilson's going to get sacked six times a game, he's not going to last throughout the season. So, you know. They got to get Beckham healthy, and they got to keep him upright because he is not a big quarterback. You know, he's a, a Lamar Jackson type build without, you know, what does he have? Four three speed Lamar Jackson. So, yeah. you know, they they got to be a little careful. But you know, I, I I want if I was a Jet fan, you know, all I'm looking for is to see improvement from him from Wilson every week. You know, and you know you have you know some promise and. You know, the ceiling is set very low for you guys. You know, there's not a lot of expectations for the Jets this year. You know, you're in a rebuilding year. I do. I did think before this game that your line was not going to be as bad as, as they played. And I think they will get a little better. Now with the injuries, you could have some issues. But, you know, I think that's the problem with both New York teams is, they, in my opinion, Yet, you know, the NFL now is if you don't have a good offensive and defensive line, you're not going to be a good football team. Do you guys agree with me on that? It starts in the trench. Yeah, offensive line 100%. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl, right? You could yeah. be the best quarterback in the league, arguably maybe the best, most talented quarterback of all time, and he didn't score a touchdown in the entire Super Bowl, him being Patrick Mahomes, because he had no offensive line in that game. Yeah, really, it starts in the trenches. You know, especially in, in a pass-happy league, like the league has turned into the last handful of years, if you don't have an offensive line, it's not going to help the run game. And the run game always sets up the pass game. And if that's not – if neither of those are working, you are not going to win games. And week one showed that even though Beckton was hurt, even when he was on the field, again, it's week one, I get it, but still you could really see that this offensive line still needs a lot of help. Granted, you have a second-year left tackle. You have a rookie left guard. But you still have veteran, a veteran center, a veteran right guard, and a veteran right tackle. And Zach Wilson became a pincushion for the defense. And I thought he was going to get knocked out of the game on his last sack when he landed on his neck. And he, he, I think he said he almost felt like he had whiplash from that last sack because he got absolutely demolished. And it's, you know, you can't give up six sacks a game, especially for your rookie quarterback in his first NFL game. If he if this is going to be the story of the season for Wilson, you know, in terms of the passing game, having to run for his life, in a sense, every single play or pass play, it's not going to end well. 
he's going to get hurt. It's going to stunt his development. It's just going to be bad, bad, bad. So it's if you don't have a line, I mean, we I saw it. The whole Tommy will attest to it too. If you don't have a good line, you are going to be in a lot of trouble because the Jets couldn't run the ball to save their ass. It's they no. can't run. They couldn't run at all with Ty Johnson, Michael Carter, or Tevin Coleman. It does. It didn't matter. There was no. There was no room to run. And when it came to passing plays, Wilson had to scramble out of the pocket almost every play or drop back or rush his throws. It was just not good. It's not good. No. What I what I will say what I will say with this is that if I'm a Jets fan, I'm extremely excited about Zach Wilson because for the for the game being letting up six sacks by your offensive line, I thought he looked terrific in his first game. I thought he was absolutely stellar. And you could see I think the difference between him and Sam from what I've seen in the preseason, from what I've seen in this first game, and obviously it's a ridiculously small sample size, is just the confidence that he plays with. He's not – for me with Sam, it it seemed like he was afraid. And granted, I would be afraid too if I had 350-plus pounds running at me every single play. And granted, over time, getting sacked six times in a game may do that to you. But he just looks so much more confident and even in an extremely uncomfortable situation, he looks comfortable and poised like he's been playing with this team the last five years, not only the last five minutes. And for me, going forward, if the Jets get any more semblance of an offensive line or if Becton comes back you know, healthy, plays out the remainder of the season, if he comes back week five, week six, that's a lot to look forward to going forward because, Greg, like you said, that whole right half, that, that's a veteran line. That's fine. It's between Vera Tucker and Becton. You get that solidified, and granted, the defense, it seems like almost every single week you're losing somebody. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner as well, you lost for the year uh, in, in, as the safety with a torn tricep, I believe. So that's going to hurt tremendously. But Zach Wilson, the offensive side of the ball, you know, confidence with Corey Davis, that was great. Uh, nice long pass to uh, Denzel Mims. You, you had some action with Braxton Berrios. You know, you're getting Jameson Crowder back this week, who's, who's been a key part of your offense the last couple years. I would say you have a lot to look forward to with Zach Wilson this season. Even though there's not many high expectations, I think he's going to be a bright spot on this team. A quick comment here from Brian Attard. Congrats on 10 years from your friends over at the Sports Box. Keep killing it, guys. Brian Attard and Mike Galletta were our two guests last week. Awesome uh, podcasting network over there. They have a full lineup of shows. Make sure to go check them out on Facebook. They have a great interview lined up for tonight. Um, highly opinionated Tuesdays at 8.30s is their show. Thank you very much for that comment, Brian, all the way from Hamilton, New Jersey. Um, but, yeah, let's kind of transition into this week two matchup where the Jets are playing the New England Patriots. The Patriots are coming off a one-point loss to the Miami Dolphins, who are currently in first place alone at 1-0 because Buffalo lost to Pittsburgh. I'm not sure if too many people expected that, but Jets Patriots, this is uh, going up against Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, first career start, looked pretty sharp, probably looked the best out of the three who started. Um, What are we thinking, Greg? We'll start with you. What are your expectations going into this game? First game at home. I just want to make sure you guys can still hear me. My computer just uh, froze up a little bit. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Okay. You guys are able to see me all right? Yep. Yes. Okay, good. Just want to make sure because I'm I'm looking right now and I just see myself. It looks like my eyes closed looking down at everything. 
But, um, I mean, Mac Jones, it's kind of scary. When you watched him play, you could see almost little glimpses of Tom Brady again, but just a 22-year-old version right out of Alabama because he, he looked like a natural running that offense. You know, it's It just – there were many points throughout that game. The game just flowed, and it was really – he looked really good, and it's I was I was never a big Mac Jones guy because I just never saw it. But you know, seeing him run that offense, it was actually pretty reminiscent of Bra- almost almost Brady like in a way. But you know, I also think that you know, especially against the Dolphins' defense, it's you know it's pretty impressive because the Dolphins have a great defense. Their quarterback—that's another conversation I can have. But Mac Jones, I think he looked great. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think Jones is a great quarterback. I think Wilson has loads of potential as well. I think Jones is obviously in a better situation right now. Uh, the 500-pound elephant in the room we haven't brought up yet is first-year head coach Robert Salah. Uh, again, I did not watch the Jets game because I was in transit, <laughs> but – Greg, what did you think from a coaching perspective and how is he able to improve moving into week two? Uh, I mean, really, I think it's – there's always a learning curve, especially because there's so much that he has to – I mean, he also really leans on his coordinators a lot. You don't really see him – like the offense, that's all LaFleur. Matt LaFleur uh, runs the offense. He's the play caller. And Solid lets him just do his thing, run the Shanahan offense. And he has more of an input with the defense, kind of like what Rex Ryan did. He helps out more on the defensive side of the ball and lets the offensive coordinator really do his thing. Um, I think really it's, you know, he's also like, the one thing that I love about Rob Sala is that he he's the biggest cheerleader on the sideline for your team. You know, he's whenever Zach Wilson threw his uh, first touchdown pass, Whenever his team makes big plays, he gets jacked up, and he's the biggest cheerleader for that team. And, you know, players want that as a head coach. They love seeing their head coach get fired up for you when you're doing well and go to battle for you when things aren't going your way. And, you know, I think that, you know, he's just got to stay true to who he is and let, especially for the offense, let LaFleur do his job and let Wilson and LaFleur grow together. In, the, in that offense, because this is LaFleur's first offensive coordinator job, obviously Wilson being a rookie. He's got to just grow overall. I think really he's just got to keep doing what he's doing and let the coordinators do the work. And he has all the defensive experience, so he will help out as much as he can on defense. But really it's the big thing is just limiting stupid penalties, which ultimately falls on the players. But that's the number one thing for the Jets is working on just protecting Zach Wilson and the penalties. And I mean, you can complain about penalties every week, but that's really the big thing because there were so many dumb penalties that the Jets had in that first game. And you, it's, you, you can't have stupid penalties because those are ultimately going to cost you. Yeah, penalties are a big issue. Uh, they've been a big issue with us in the past. But let's get into our predictions for this game. I don't know. Is there a line out yet for this game? I know New England is favored, but I don't know. We have to Give me one second. I can check yeah, my. They're, they're favored five and a half. Oh, yeah. All, All right. right. My book has. Why? 
I dabble a little bit, so I'll see what they got for me. I'm, it's probably going to be along the same thing. While we're waiting, Brian, um, why don't we start with you here? Who wins this week two game, and what is your season record prediction for the Jets? I think this week's going to be 27 to 10 Patriots. Um, I think the Patriots are a very good football team. I don't like to kind of see this, but I don't think um, it's going to take them long to get back. I see a lot of Brady and Jones. He went to the absolute perfect situation in New England. Um, And if the Jets let up six sacks last week, they're probably going to let up just as many with Belichick. Um, And I see the Patriots rebounding. I see, I see the AFC um, East being a very tough division, being a, you know, a three headed monster. Now I think, you know, sorry, sorry there, Greg, but the Jets have no chance of winning the division, but I think it's up for grabs after that. I think, uh, you know, Buffalo was sneaking up on people and now, they're the favorite, and uh, I think they came back down to earth a little bit. They don't have a running game, so you know I think the Patriots are going to be hungry. I say twenty-seven to ten, and the Jets. I'm going to say four and thirteen. Okay, well that's that's a good start. Before we get to uh, Greg here, Connor Walsh with a comment. Happy 10 years, Tom. Well, thanks. Happy 10 years to everybody because this show has now been airing for 10 years, Connor. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate that. From Norwalk, Connecticut, Connor Walsh. Keep the comments coming, folks. Uh, Greg, give me your prediction on this game because it seems like every year the Jets always play New England really close, right? I mean, I know there's once in a while where there's a blowout either way, but it seems like these divisional games are always tight and come down to the wire. So the five and a half being that it's week two, I don't feel so confident in taking that. Yeah, that's a number really where for five and a half, I mean, realistically, the number, I mean, the ideal number for me, if you're going to te- play a teaser, then that would be seven and a half. But, um, you know, five and a half outright, it's, a, it's you know, Vegas doesn't miss that often. Or, or they get it re- – they pretty much get it almost on the money for a lot of games. And I think that this is going to be one that's going to be pretty close to being right on the money. Because uh, I – like Brian, I don't – a lot of my predictions for this week and also this season are kind of right along the lines of Brian because there are people that are saying, like, you know, like guys like Nate Brills, and they're like, oh, you, the Jets can surprise people with, like, nine wins. Uh, no, I don't see it. I think that it's, you know, this is, it's a building year. You know, this is really seeing what you got with the, with number two and letting solid, you know, just become the head coach and kind of get and find out what direction this team needs to go. Obviously you want to go, you know, toward more winning games, but really figure out what the team's identity is for this year. And for this week in particular, I think if you're going to play five and a half straight up, I would, personally take it because i see new england winning by a touchdown i personally have 24 to 17 this week uh in favor of new england because i think that you know for mac jones in his first game to put up 287 yards against a dolphins defense that has a lot of playmakers it's you know i think that the jets are gonna have a tough time because also for the jets on offense Zach Wilson, you know, he you saw glimpses of what he can be, 
but I think at the same time it's you know going to get going against the Patriots defense. Even if even if they don't have Stephon Gilmore, you know they still held Miami to 17 points, which isn't terrible because Tua Tagovailoa was awful. So, but that's another situation. I think I think the Jets are just going to have a little bit more of a problem against that New England defense, and I think it's going to be a 24-17 win. And my season prediction for this year, it's you know the Jets going to be obviously in the top 10, potentially even top five again in the draft, and I think they're going to go five and 12. All right, yeah, I agree with everything you just said right there. Kyle, I want to hear from you. Where, where do you think the Jets fall in this game and over the course of this season? That's a competitive AFC East. It's, it's a shame the Jets are in this division because if they were in the South or maybe, uh, you know, maybe the North now with Baltimore slacking off, they, they might do a little bit better record-wise. I think that, sadly, I think this is going to be a blowout. I, I think we're going to see something around 27 to, to 7 or even 30 to 7 potentially because, like Brian said, if you're allowing the Carolina Panthers, who granted don't have a bad defense, but compared to this Patriots defense, all that they've gotten back and all that they've added this past offseason, and Carolina at six sacks against you, it's going to be a long day for Zach Wilson, especially not having Mekhi Becton there the entirety of the game. Because I know, like Greg said, played first quarter or at least half the game. Not having him there against a stellar Miami defense, Mac Jones looked fantastic. And now going up against a Jets defense, which is completely depleted and losing a defensive player it seems like almost every single week on top of the fact not having any corners for the last how many years now greg it's going to be a long day for this jets team and and i think that we're going to see a score of 27 to 7 as the final score and for the season i think i might be as crazy as it sounds i think we're going to see a 6 and 11 season out of them uh, and as crazy as my tables have turned from Saying they're going to get blown out. I think I see six wins with this team. You have a couple favorable matchups, I think so, in a, in a game like Houston, Jacksonville, Atlanta maybe, Denver. I think they got a couple wins in them. I really do. I think Zach Wilson is talented enough to get it done by himself. Sorry, those are all the teams that I had the Jets beating. <laughs> That's what so, I'm saying. I think they maybe, have. I think maybe they have some wins. One out. And then maybe sneaking one out against the Broncos, I think. Yeah. You, you know how Denver went for us. So Yeah, yeah. I don't know about Denver. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. It, a lot of these games are matchup based. So I'm going to go ahead and say New England, unfortunately, wins this game. But I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring. I'm going to say New England scores 23 points. And I think the Jets are going to score 16. Uh, I do agree with the seven point hole there, like Greg said. But I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring. I, I don't see Mac Jones putting up close to 30 just yet. I mean, the Jets, they do have C.J. Mosley back. They do have Carl Lawson, who they acquired in the offseason. So I am really excited about this Jets defense. Marcus May is, you know, he, he makes a lot of good plays in the secondary. So the biggest concern for me with the Jets is their cornerback position, at least defensively, from what I've seen off of, you know, first glance. Obviously, I haven't broken down the team full-blown analysis, but the corner position concerns me in New England. You know, they went out, they got, I mean, Again, Nelson Aguilar has some pretty bad hands, but, I mean, he had a nice season for him last year in Vegas, got himself a contract in New England. I think the Patriots, they have a few other weapons, John U. Smith and Hunter Henry at tight end. That's a good combo for Jones to throw to. And Damian Harris is a running back who can take the top off of defense. So that's why they traded Sony Michelle. But for the season, I have the Jets going 5-12. and 12. Uh, I originally was going to go a 4-13 and 13 route, but – I think looking more into their schedule now, I see a fifth win coming in there late in the season plus 
Salah and Wilson, I think by week 12 or week 13, I think they're going to hit their stride a little bit and be competitive in a lot of these football games. So five and 12 for me. I, I like that, the time you basically took one point off each team's score and then stuck with the same exact record as me. Oh, I find that pretty coincidental. Well, you read my mind because I had the exact same prediction as you, so I wasn't going to come on air and say 24-17. So I had to go one down. All right. Um, at, least, at least I know you're like a book. I mean, it's been how many years since I've known you? So at least I got a pretty good read on you already. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I, I am wide open like a book sometimes. Anyone knows exactly what's going through my mind. But uh, Brian and Greg, any any final thoughts here before we let you guys go? Obviously, 10-year anniversary – Oh, oh, and I do have one more question. Week one, what was your favorite NFL game? I want to ask both of them. Your favorite NFL game in week one and why? That's my last question for each of you. I am going to say, uh, my mother's probably going to hear this at some point too and be very upset. Uh-oh. I'm going to say the Saints and the Packers because, uh, you know, they're, they're after the Giants, they're my two next favorite teams. I have my sister lives in New Orleans and my mom's from Green Bay. But after hearing every single day about Aaron Rodgers and seeing him go out and lay a goose egg, I was I was actually, you know, I was happy to see that. You know, enough is enough. This is what happens when you make yourself bigger than the game, in my opinion. He went out through two interceptions and got blown out by the Saints, which nobody saw. So to me, that was my favorite moment of the week. I got to go with the game last night. Raiders and Ravens. I mean, if you you could have just not watched the first three quarters of the game, or actually in most of the fourth quarter, if you tuned into the game with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter, that was all you needed to see to see how amazing of a game that was. I have never in my life, in my 26, soon to be 27 years of living, have never seen an ending like that game had. Ever. That was one of the wildest games I've ever seen. Yeah, I completely agree. As people as people talking on talk shows today is Derek Carr elite as a quarterback. So no. it was definitely a stellar game. Definitely a stellar game. I happen to agree with you, Greg. That was that was my favorite by well, far this weekend. This I was week. getting spat on last night at City Field. Um, so I missed that game, unfortunately. Uh, I, I got to watch this this Met, this Mets team yet again disappoint me with two 40-year-old pitchers on the mound. So, obviously, that was a lot of fun. But uh, I Could think, have brought a on blanket. Yeah, this is this is also true. At least I had a hat on. Um, uh, my favorite week one game, probably Chiefs-Browns. Just the way that Cleveland got ahead early, all the Browns fans or all the people that ruined for the Browns uh, – Kyle, Dom was texting me saying, I told you about Cleveland. They're going to win this football game. And I'm like, no, watch Patrick Mahomes pull it off at the end. It's, what, it's just insanity. Happens? Patrick Mahomes pulls it off at the end. It doesn't so, matter. Down by 20, down by 30, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And they did it in a quarter, too. They did it in one quarter. It's just like watching, it's like a reincarnation of Brady's clutch moments. Because yeah. even in week one, like against, um, against Dallas – on a third, first Thursday night game of the year, you knew once they panned to Brady with his head down like this on the bench, you just knew you knew it was over. Yeah, that minute 24 was too much time. Yeah, that you would never – you can't give Brady that much time. 
as old as this guy is. What's also crazy is this guy looks 25 when he's 44. He didn't even look this young when he was actually 24. It's crazy how young he looks now. But it's you can't give him any time because he picks you apart and makes you pay. And it's like the same thing now at Mahomes. It's you can give this guy however many points you want, and he'll still find a way to just come back and just destroy you. If you if you guys remember in the playoffs, I think it was a year or two ago, they played Houston in the first round. I remember Houston went up like twenty plus points on them, and then the Chiefs still came back and won. Like in that same half. That was it. They were down twenty eight nothing, I think. Yeah, that was it. That was the moment it was like, okay, Pat. This is Patrick. This is Patrick Mahomes' league now. We're just living in it. We're just watching it. Yes. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching that meme. It was Aaron Rodgers at thirty-eight, next to Brady at forty-four, thirty-seven. How old Rodgers is? And like Rodgers looks like ten years older than Brady. He looks like oh. a, he looks like a like a caveman. And Tom Tom Brady. <laughs> I guess when you move down south, I mean, you age less, right? And you got the warm weather going for you. It's that you Florida going. Going. baby. Avocado. Avocado ice cream. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Brian, Greg, any final thoughts here? I'm just going to uh, give a final thought. And, you know, thank you so much for asking me to come on. I can't believe it's 10 years. You know, and I, I really miss doing this. Um, it just – like you said, after a while, the commute was so far. And, uh, you know, I miss being in the sporting world. You know, I, I did this for, for a lot of years with you. But, I mean, I have so many other memories with you guys doing this show and, and all the stuff that we did at Post and all the late nights and the food and, I mean, you know, going to the Christmas parties and, and just everything and all, all the things that we did together. We spent a lot of time. We spent 40, 50 hours a week together, you know, especially during football season. Um, pretty much year round, you know, for basketball and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm so proud to see all you guys, you know, go forward. I mean, Kyle, I still remember the first day you came out on air. And I remember going, this kid's in high school going, wow, he's really good. And uh, here you are now. So, you know, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm happy to have met you guys and that you continue to do the show. Proud of all you guys. And, uh, you know, I'll have to try to come on again sometime because, you know, I really miss doing this. You know, I, it, it was great to see everybody. You know, I miss, you know, Greg and and you, Tom and Kyle. And I. so one last thing is Thomas McMahon and I, me and Tommy Mac, we try to talk every single Monday and we still argue and bicker just like we do on the show <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so we, we pretty much talk once a week and we kind of do our own little review and preview once a week. And we still don't agree on anything. You know, we play golf once in a while. We still agree on nothing. So that hasn't changed. And uh, just continue the, the great work, guys. You know, I'm, uh, I'm proud to have been a part of this. I'm glad it made it 10 years. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Craig? Yeah, it's, you know, echo Brian's point, which, Brian, by the way, my golf game has significantly improved this year. I've really taken a full liking to golf, so my game is improving drastically. I'm only about a 42 handicap now instead of an 80. <laughs> I'm down to a 12. <laughs> <laughs> you're all right. Well, all right i guess i got a lot more work to go then but um again i appreciate you guys having me on you know it's the couple years that i did review and preview it was a lot of fun you know especially with us like uh with with the four of us and then tommy mack it was a fun time we always had a lot to talk about a lot of different viewpoints a lot of laughs a lot of yelling that's for sure we had a whole lot of yelling and um oh he emphasized that yeah <laughs> a lot of yelling but it was honestly it was such a fun time 
and doing this like come doing like little small appearances like this for the show it's like i almost get that itch again to kind of get back after it again like i want to like start doing my own show i want to come back i want to like do my own show eventually that'd be fun i just gotta you know just gotta find the time but um you know i i really enjoyed review and preview i can't believe it's been 10 years already that this this has been going on and you know it's tom it's awesome that you've been picking this up where brian left off and you've really taken it to another level with you know and now you basically have your own network with the based off this show so i give major kudos to you and for constantly finding the time and energy and you know will to do this show and expand it to the levels that you did so i give major kudos to you and you know i thank you guys again for having me on i had a blast absolutely absolutely appreciate both of you guys so much um same goes for you guys greg with with football i mean that goes unnoticed i thank you enough countless times for that because without you i'm not where i am today in my own career um and i'll never forget that and then brian as well the whole sports talks thing he took a shy kid that was very uncomfortable behind a mic to a guy that was doing this right now and the two of you did that when you both of you first met me i was one of the quietest people in the room wouldn't say a word and now i don't shut up right so that's that's pretty much what you guys have kind of turned me into so i I love you guys for it i really appreciate it have a good one and yeah enjoy some football week two's coming up go giants go jets best time of the year baby nothing like watching your team lose every week keep up the good work tom kyle craig it was great to see you guys and uh we'll we'll do this again sometime soon absolutely appreciate it thanks guys appreciate it that was Brian Marbach and Greg Vavernick. Kyle, wow, it's been 90, it's been 100 minutes already since we've gone on air. And we do have a question from Connor. Is there any one prediction made going into the season that you guys see as being true after week one? So basically he's saying a lot of unthinkables happened in week one. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think Tampa wins the Super Bowl again. I mean, yeah. I, that's the one prediction that I, I still think is true. I know Dallas took them to the wire, but look, you can't judge any team based off their week one performance. I mean, not even the Giants, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they, they they were bad, but they could shock us all on Thursday night and kick the crap out of Washington, and then we could be turned around and saying, well, you know, this team may be headed in a different direction. Or the Atlanta Falcons could come back from losing 32-6 to six to the Eagles and slobber whatever team they're playing. You really don't know until about week five or six where a team is headed, in my opinion. Sometimes it takes even longer. But that's my one thing from week one, Tampa's winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, <laughs> Atlanta's actually playing Tampa this week, so I don't think they're they're beating Tampa. They're beating the crap out of Tampa. I don't think that's oh. happening. But if anything, just to be a little different, I would say the L.A. Rams. You give Matthew Stafford a solid team around him, and look what he did. And I get it. It was against the Bears defense that's been a little depleted, although the the, the front seven is is pretty good. The secondary has been depleted over the course of the last couple of years. Matthew Stafford just looked absolutely stellar. And some people have him, you know, and the Rams representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. Um, so I can definitely see that happening as well. In fact, I think it'll probably come down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the L.A. Rams in the NFC Championship game. So. That's probably a prediction made in the beginning of the season that I think that can come true. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. I can't talk too loud, though, because there's a Green Bay Packers bar about 10 minutes from my house. So <laughs> I have to keep that on the low, low. They love Aaron Rodgers out there still. But on that note, 
I just want to thank one more person tonight, and then we'll get into our last segment, Kyle. Um, Fonz DeFalco, who is not able to join us live tonight here for our 10-year anniversary show, he originally came up with the idea of NFL quick picks, and he left us with a teaser video as what this 10-year anniversary of Review and Preview means to him. What's going on, everybody? It's Fonz DeFalco here. Uh, I wanted to say, uh, Tom Scavetta and everybody else, the boys at Review and Preview, I want to say congratulations. Ten years of Review and Preview. It's, it's excellent stuff. Uh, they'll say my time Review and Preview. I was there for about a year, uh, about a few years back, and they welcomed me with open arms. They gave me my first opportunity to work in this industry, and every time we were there and back in the studio, it was so much fun for those two hours, just taking your mind off things, just talking sports. And, it, you know, it was just incredible stuff. And thank you to those guys for helping me out. And I'm sure everybody else is very appreciative of what you guys have done there. Uh, again, 10 years is uh, it's definitely incredible stuff. I enjoyed my time. And I'm sure everybody else who's been there currently or formerly of Review and Preview has definitely enjoyed their time. Uh, might be a little bit of a teaser, but uh, I might be making an appearance back on Review and Preview. we got to talk to Tom about that one. Tom will tell you more about that a little bit later. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. But no, on a serious note, uh, I definitely enjoyed my time on Review and Preview. We've seen the growth that you guys have had uh, from literally working at a local radio station at Post to now having its own network on Facebook and on YouTube and whatnot. I like to say I'm happy that I was be able to part of that transition. I was happy to be a part of Review and Preview. I'm happy to be part of it for the foreseeable future. We'll see more about that later. But now, nah, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say uh, congratulations to you guys. Uh, Tom, uh, Kyle Russo, James Bonifusco, the guys that I first worked with at the Review Preview. Congrats to you guys. And here's to uh, another 10 years for Review Preview Sports. Interesting. Yep. Very, very interesting. For the foreseeable future, we will see. What does that mean? Well, James says, what's up, guys? James, how's it going, my friend? Uh, James, thank you so much for joining tonight. We showed your video earlier on. Make sure to catch that on YouTube when Dom uploads our, our, our video. Hmm, Fawn's coming back. Well, well, now there's a lot of suspicions. So now I feel like we kind of have to say something. And yes, folks, Fawn's the Falco will be returning to Review and Preview Sports. I say that with a lot of excitement. And happiness because Fonz was an outstanding member of our brand for the last year. And obviously, we haven't had him for this past year. So I'm looking forward to having him back after he spent all of 2019 and most of 2020 with us. He's going to be doing his own wrestling show called Four Corners with my good buddy, Albert Donor, and Mike Santo, Fonz's friend from college. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And Fonz will be helping us out with our YouTube channel and potentially making more appearances on the Review and Preview show. So Fonz is back. Um, and James, 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 James. Really spilling beans right James. Here. Come on, man. Just yesterday James, you were sending me a text. You we got to hang out. Just yesterday you sending me a text. We got to hang out. Now you want me off the show? James, if you have the balls to come into the studio right now and say this to Kyle's face, I dare you to do it. Go ahead, man. I welcome it with open arms. But thoughts on that Fonz video? I mean, that that's just awesome news. That was great. I'm so happy that he's coming back. He, like you said, Tom, he was such a, a key part, a, a crucial part, really, to the transition and the ability for us to keep on doing this. And 
you know, once having that stepping stone, so many ideas, you know, formed. And now a year and a half later, look at us now, you know, YouTube channel, a, a great following, multiple different networks from three people last summer to now 10, like you've been saying throughout the show is just an absolutely incredible transition. And he really played a crucial role in the ability to continue review and preview and move forth with it even after COVID-19. So definitely happy to have him back on the team. So Fonz is the one who started the idea of quick picks. Well, what is quick picks folks? If you're just watching this for the first time, quick picks is a segment that we run every year. And now there's seven of us participating in it this year. And I want to congratulate Hank for winning week one of quick picks. James, you did come in last via a quadruple tiebreaker. And I'll explain why, because your lock had the lowest margin of victory. So that is why picking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as your lock made you the week one loser. However, you will not have to fulfill a punishment. The punishment will go to the person who is the ultimate loser for the month of September. And oh my God, look at this. Say it to my face. Son of a gun. James? Say it to my face. Goodbye. James. (laughs) What's up, boys? How's it going? How you doing, man? Good. I got out of work early. I was catching the show and I was uh, commenting, wasn't sure how long you guys are going to be on for. And then, well, you guys are still on. So I have the balls. Kyle, uh, by the way, it's me and Tom have to tell you, this is your last show with us. Dude, it was a great time. These last three years, they've been really memorable. It's It's been, a, a, as we celebrate 10 years, I'm happy to not celebrate my last three. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all jokes. It's all jokes. Of course, of course. Hey, James, con- congrats. You finished in last place this week in quick picks. As, thank as you, I was thank you. So you, you take that crown. You can put your golden sombrero on. Um, Excellent. I, I know you have, like, that fake Cowboys hat somewhere lurking in your closet. He's going to go get it now. <laughs> Connor with a comment. <laughs> That's what we like to do, Connor. We like to entertain everybody. We like to have fun here at Review and Preview. Look at this. There you go. Listen, yeah, man, that's not a bad look. That's not a bad look. All you no, mean is the, uh, the the straw coming out of your mouth. Now, how about them cowboys? Yeah, how about them cowboys? So, when Greg and Tommy were on, we kind of went over five games already, five important games. We went over the Sunday night game, well, Kyle did, the Monday night game. And then we went over – I went over the Chiefs game. Brian went over the Packers game. And then we talked about Mac Jones and two already. But there's – Five games left that we need to talk about. And why don't we start with the Thursday night football game? Dak Prescott makes his return to the NFL after missing, missing most of the 2020 season, throwing for over 400 yards and three touchdown passes. Amari Cooper with two touchdown receptions. CeeDee Lamb with one. Trayvon Diggs with a nice interception. But the father of time said, not today. No, no, no. It wasn't enough to beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Brady had four touchdown passes through for nearly 400. He did have two picks, but one of them was on a Hail Mary. So in my book, at least, I don't know about you guys, that second pick doesn't really count. Yeah, no. Um, it, it only counts on my fantasy team. Not in, not not for this, though. <laughs> this is true. And Antonio Brown, 120 yards and a touchdown. Gronk had two scores. I mean, I feel like we're living 2010 all over again. Yeah, this is like a legit yeah. fantasy team in real life. That's what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, on offense especially. Yeah, and Godwin too. Godwin had a good game, but 
I mean, look, you guys know I'm not the biggest Dak fan, but this is coming from me, a Giants fan who does not like Dak Prescott. It was great to see him back on a football field healthy, Mm -hmm. and I applaud him for it. Yeah, it was definitely definitely scary after that injury last year. You know, there was some question if he's ever even going to be able to play again. And then you're out there throwing 58 passes and over 400 yards, three touchdowns, scrambling in the pocket, running all over the field. So good to see him back and healthy. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. James, I know to your displeasure, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, did not cover the spread. They only won by two points. And the Cowboys, by the way, you predicted Dallas to score six points last week when we had Brian and Mike Galetta on from the sports box. And immediately after that game, Brian Marbach actually sent me a message saying six points, eh? Think better next time. Think better. I will. You, Listen, you, you got, against, it's like against, you just rolled out of bed and made that pick. Against, against one of the best defenses in football, I'm not going to say it was a reasonable bid, but it was – listen, it was it, it was out of this world type of prediction. Let, let's get that straight. But in a week where what, nine underdogs won? One of the – I think it was the most underdogs yeah. won in one week since the last 35 years. So a lot of crazy stuff happened this week. And yeah. as we know, Tom – if there's anybody to say something crazy and it actually comes true, it would be James out of all of us. This so I can't, I can't say it's too out of pocket. Hey, listen, I picked the Jets as an upset this week. They almost did the uh, an upset this week. So that is true. It didn't happen true. though because Tommy Mack went to the game. If Tommy Mack didn't go to the game, the Jets would have pulled it off. Tommy yeah. Mack had to drive all the way down to North Carolina and get disappointed. So, you know. How the cookie crumbles sometimes. But anyway, one really underrated game this week that had a lot of history behind it. And again, I was watching Constantine uh, Maroulis at the tailgate at MetLife, so I did not get to see many of the 1 o'clock games. But the Minnesota Vikings, Gabe Flayton's Minnesota Vikings and the Cincinnati Bengals went into overtime. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the Vikings kicked the field goal as time expired to bring it to overtime. And then the Bengals kicked the field goal as time expired in overtime. And apparently that's never happened before. Really? Never. Interesting. So we almost saw a tie in week one. And thank God for Evan McPherson, because if he doesn't hit that field goal, I would have been really upset. I would hate to see a tie week one. It just, it looks gross on the scoreboard watching. Like if you have to see a tie, in the NFL standings for 18 weeks throughout the course of the season, I mean, just send me to the chair because I don't want to look at that, you know? I think the Bengals actually, like a year or two ago, entered the season. I think their first game of the season, they did tie. I think they, they tied, tied with yeah. the, it was the it was either. I don't think it was week one, though. I think it was either with uh, it was with Cleveland or Pittsburgh. I could have – again, I could be mistaken, but it's – Pittsburgh. It was a <laughs> – it was definitely a crazy game, definitely an entertaining game. It was, you know, we talked about Dak Prescott coming back, you know, look at Joe Burrow and, and what he was able to do against the Minnesota Vikings defense, who may not be up to that same level they were a couple years ago, but he looked pretty stellar as well. But wait, they have Dalvin Tomlinson now. Their front is loaded. Yeah. Michael Pierce is back too from the COVID list. Uh, Eric Hendricks, they got Nick Vigil from the Bengals against his former team. Everson um, Griffin's back. Cam Dantzler, they gave Harrison Smith a contract extension. They got 
I know Xavier Woods is a downgrade from Anthony Harris, but he's still an average player. Um, their defense did improve. I'll give them that. They're that one yeah. team that is on the cusp of the playoffs, but I don't think they're there just yet. They have to make some improvements. Kirk Cousins still has Thielen vision. Thielen had two touchdowns in this game. And who would have thought Joe Mixon would lead the NFL in rushing after week one? No, we just we just mm-hmm. talked about such high praise about Dalvin Thomas and how he really solidified the uh, the run defense and 127 rushing yards on 29 attempts in a TD. Not good for the Minnesota Vikings defense. Not good for my previous statement either. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's this one team in the NFC East that we have this obsession over, and it is the Washington football team. And honestly, they might as well stay the Washington football team because I – at this point, I kind of just like to call them that. I don't want to call them anything else at this point. Uh, Agreed. They lost on Sunday. They lost their quarterback week one, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a hip subluxation. That was the official diagnosis. Uh, will be out week two. He placed on IR. Who do they sign? Pat Shermer's son to the practice squad, Kyle Shermer. Uh Look, Washington did not have a good game. Antonio Gibson had two fumbles, lost one. Uh, Brandon Staley wins his head coaching debut for the Chargers, first to do that in Chargers history since North Turner back in 2007. And when North Turner did that, he took them to the AFC Championship game. That Mm -hmm. was the year that we won the Super Bowl. So we almost played the Chargers if they would have upset New England. But what are our thoughts on this game? Is the Washington football team a team that's going to come together in the middle of the season again and you know, kind of start to piece together the puzzle? Or do we think that you know they're not going to be as good as they were last year? I think that they're going to – I really do think they're going to be very good. I thought it would have been a tighter QB competition between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. Because to be honest – Drew. Just realistically, right, we look at last season, we look at how he performed in the playoffs in the end of last season. Was Taylor Heineke really ever bad? You know, even in this game, he completed 11 of 15 passes, over 120 or 130 yards, and a touchdown. He's not a bad quarterback. In fact, he's probably one of the better backups in all of football. To now take this position, Ron Rivera is saying that we don't need to go look for a, a guy or sign somebody because I think they have a good enough quarterback uh, let alone to win them some games with the weapons they have around him and the defensive side of things, but to the win this division as well. I think Taylor Heineke is more than capable of doing so and putting some wins in the win column for this team. I think that he gives probably a little more offensive support than Ryan's, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick does too. And I think that over the next six or so, eight weeks that Ryan Fitzpatrick is on the IR, Taylor Heineke is going to have a lot of time to really prove himself as a starter in this league. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, James, I, I know you were on previously, but after seeing that abysmal Giants performance in week one, do you think Washington kicks our asses on Thursday night or do you think there's <laughs> just, a chance? Just straight out there, plain and simple. <laughs> I mean, we both know Kyle is going to be rooting for his closet team, but wearing a Giants shirt. So, I guarantee I you he already picked them in the quick picks. I did. Hey, he did. you picked he them. Did. You picked them too. Tom, you so, picked them too. Oh, I picked them first this time. <laughs> I, I, I didn't just pick them. I made it a point to pick them first because I knew Kyle, once he had a second, the first game he was going to pick, Washington over the Giants. Well, listen, well, it's it's the first game on the schedule, first game of the week. But, again, I, I think that they – legitimately in real talk I do, I do think they have a legitimate chance in you know not only this game but the division as a whole but James continue 
upon Tom's simply stated question for Thursday Night Football. Their defense is pretty good. Taylor Heineke, we saw what he did against Tom Brady, nearly knocking him out. Washington nearly went on after the wild card round. Tom Brady could have been sitting at home for the rest of the summer and not had a Super Bowl ring. True. Um, It's going to be close. I think Joe Judge is going to – I think he probably did and is going is still doing ripping the team a new one um, on how poor the performance was. I mean, there's two Giants players blocking each other at one point. Oh, you um, saw that I, too? Yeah, I saw that. Don't the whole world saw that. Who was that? It was Nate it Solder was, blocking like Sterling Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> um and then I I personally think it's going to be a lot closer. Um just because yes, it was Game one, not it's not an excuse, but Joe Judge is going to get them ready and isn't going to take a seven-point game going into garbage time with this team again, especially with the division rivals, primetime game with a backup quarterback on Washington, of course. I think the game is going to be a lot closer. I'm hoping the Giants come out with a win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Washington makes a snail bite a little more than what we're expecting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have not lost to Washington since 2018. So that's that's something to keep a note of. Uh, two more games I want to go over. The Seattle Seahawks beat the Indianapolis Colts 28-16. to Carson Wentz healthy somewhat in time to make his Colts debut. Had two touchdown passes. Jonathan Taylor was the leading rusher and receiver, but Russell Wilson does the Russell Wilson, what he does best, four touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, the whole team, because they don't have a defense, and they find a way. Actually, they they did on Sunday. They held them to 16 points. Uh, They go into Indy and win that one. Surprise, surprise? Not surprised that they won, but more so surprised by, you know, the defense itself, you know, the defense going into the season was not supposed to be anywhere close to a good defense, but they finish off the game with three sacks, um, three or four pass deflections, a decent amount of tackles throughout the game against an offensive line. That's one of the most highly touted offensive lines in all of football in the Indianapolis Colts. And they played very, very well. And the thing with the Seattle Seahawks, you know how I feel about Russell Wilson. I love Russell Wilson. But he plays an unbelievable, unearthly-like first eight weeks of the season. And then that second half of the season is where they start to falter a little bit. But this is not unexpected. They play up to this level the first half of the season all the time. Now, the last game I want to go over is the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills, a game that I think everybody missed except the lone Steelers fan on our team, Dom, who picked the Steelers to beat the Bills in Buffalo. This was the game that I think surprised a lot of people. I think Pittsburgh had the potential to knock them off. I didn't feel comfortable enough to pick Buffalo as my lock, but I thought Josh Allen would have had a better performance. But Pittsburgh may have the best defense in the league again. Uh, They're that good. T.J. Watt had two sacks. Big Ben didn't have a bad game. Josh Allen had two fumbles. You know, we talk about Daniel Jones fumbling, but – Allen has those issues as well. He lost one. Uh, Najee Harris made his debut, 45 rushing yards. Um, Stephon Diggs was held to just 69 yards receiving. And it was great to see Cole Beasley on the football field after, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but the off-season drama uh, surrounding him. But, yeah, 
can Buffalo turn it around in week two? I think they can. I think they'll wind up they'll wind up playing very well against Miami. I think the quarterback matchup is much better. Again, it's against a, a decent defense by the Dolphins, but I was I think Greg was the one that said this when he was on, is they kind of got brought back down to earth because it's the way they won this game too. The the defense for the Pittsburgh Steelers, we knew they were great, but four force fumbles, three sacks, and seven pass deflections in this game. And holding them to sub twenty points with such a what what is such a stellar offense, it, it was really, really, really quite shocking. And on top of the fact, Ben Roethlisberger didn't even have a good game. Completed yeah. Uh, yeah. near fifty percent of his passes for less than two hundred yards and one touchdown, and Buffalo still lost the game solely because of that defense that Pittsburgh has. But I think that they 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 wind up getting back on track against the uh, the Miami Dolphins this week. Pittsburgh, I mean, their defense is always good, but the injuries we saw last year kind of hit them in the butt a little bit. So I'm waiting to see if that does happen this year. Hopefully not, since Big Ben is, what, 40, 38, 39 now? 39, I think. 39, 39. something like that. So you figure he has a year left or two. You know, I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady playing to his mid-40s. Um, no. But the Bills will get back on track versus Miami. Easy. Big Ben's not in Tom Brady shape, although I'm going to give him credit. He did lose a lot of weight in the offseason. He is trying. It's just yeah. when when you're trying at 38, 39 years old, you're not going to play into your mid-40s like Tom Brady is. Um, so speaking of injuries, we mentioned that 49ers-Lions game saw a lot. We saw two torn ACLs. Niners lost their quarterback, Jason Barrett. Lions lost their second-year rising star corner Jeff Okuda and Raheem Mostert is out for the season as well. The 49ers seem to never catch a break with injuries. It seems like every single year they're always the ones hit the hardest. In fact, I believe since 2013, they have the most torn ACLs in the entire national football league. And that's a damn shame. Yep. It's absolutely insanity to really think about it. Just how many injuries they've gone through. The, The specific, uh, Specifically, torn ACLs is just incredible. Last year was what Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa and a bunch of other guys, and you're already yep. starting off to a unfortunate start. But they did get the they did beat Detroit though, forty one thirty three. But barely, Detroit started to come back. Yeah, DeAndre DeAndre Swift is a killer, but uh, the Forty ers again, even when they lost all those guys last season, they still stayed extremely competitive. But now more so for Detroit, you switch gears, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Jeff Akuda was a third overall pick just a year ago, guys, and he's mm-hmm. already, even out of college, just never healthy. And that's that's really a shame. Yeah, that's yeah. Lions will be picking in the top five this year in the draft. I think yes. that's, that's a bold prediction yep. I'm going to make. I love Dan Campbell. He was my favorite hire of this hiring period because of his attachment to the Giants, but they're not going to win that many games this season. So, with that being said, the NFC West is 4-0. The NFC North is 0-4. Just goes to show you how polar opposite of two divisions. Uh, it's a good thing Gabe's not running the North Pole this year. Otherwise, he'd have to talk about an 0-4 first week. But who loses first in the NFC West? I mean, we're looking, at, we're looking at the schedule here. Seattle hosts Tennessee this week. 
Uh, the, Rams, the Rams are at Indianapolis. Um, the Cardinals, I'm not so, so sure. I'd have to they play Minnesota. Schedule. The 49ers play the Eagles. Yeah, I think you could see another. Sure. You could see you could see eight. No, the Rams are playing Indianapolis. The the Cardinals are playing Minnesota. You have Seattle playing Tennessee, and you have um, uh, Eagles versus 49ers. Eagles versus 49ers. You could see a clean sweep again, to be honest with you. The Cardinals are playing the Vikings at home. Mm. They'll yeah, probably they win that game. Yeah. The yeah. Cardinals, Kyler Murray's playing on a different level. He's yeah. he's he's running with oh, the yeah. MVP this year. He's looking to compete for that MVP trophy. Yeah. Um, the Rams should beat the Colts. They should. Um, really, they're pretty good. Yeah, I think the Seahawks. Pro- and this is crazy with them playing at home with the fans. Probably have the best shot at losing just because of the Tennessee team that they're playing. Because Tennessee's probably the best of their four opponents, but. Man, Chandler Jones had a five-sack week. It's going to be interesting. We mentioned Buffalo at Miami, the Rams, the Colts, the Raiders at the Steelers, two surprising 1-0 teams, the Saints at the Panthers, the Titans at the Seahawks, the Cowboys at the Chargers is going to be a a shootout potentially. It's a lot of fun, that game. That's going to be a lot of fun. But my game this week on Sunday Night Football is – Chiefs at Ravens. Even though the Ravens are dealing with a bunch of injuries, I still think this is going to be an awesome game. I do expect the Chiefs to come out victorious, but um, yeah, that's that's my game of the week right there. It's definitely going to be a good one. It's definitely going to be a good. It always is a good one, even though I don't think I don't think Baltimore. I don't think Lamar Jackson has ever beaten Patrick Mahomes. It's always a. It's always for the most part a competitive game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I would say that's probably the best primetime game on there this week. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Monday you got Lions and Packers. We saw what the Packers that's, did. That is not – well, listen, against the Lions, I don't I don't think Green Bay come comes out throwing up goose eggs again against the Lions. I don't think that's going to happen. Kyle, James, it's been two-plus hours. Any final thoughts here before we wrap up tonight's 10-year anniversary show? Great show, fellas, as always, and happy 10 years to all of us, everybody that we've had on throughout the years. And, again, I feel like people have been saying this as they filter in throughout the night to another 10 years. Great success and expanding this brand to its highest of potentials. James? I wish I was able to join you guys at 7 o'clock, um, but I was still at work. Um, so I did catch some of it, bits and pieces, um, so it was great to see some of the familiar faces, Tom, that when I first joined, you told me about, you know, we spoke to over the phone in the studio. Great to see Fonz. Great to see Kyle. Um, you know, it's always fun to kind of re- have a reunion in a sense. Um, I'm glad to be part of this with you two and the rest of the brand. Uh, Tom, I'm pretty sure if I never met you in one of the classes we had together, me and you wouldn't be sitting here and I wouldn't be knowing Kyle. Um, so it was great. Looking forward to what the future has to come. I won't say the next 10 years because everybody said it all night, but what the future has to come for us three and the brand as a whole. Um, So thank you, Tom, for letting me be part of this special moment and this brand. 
The biggest concern I had when taking over as host was finding two solidified co-hosts. And I think I found that in yourself and Kyle. I think without you two guys, you guys helped the engine run. Uh, you know, Kyle, with just the insane knowledge of sports that you have. And James, with all the production work that you do behind the scenes that alleviates pressure off me, you know, that doesn't go unnoticed. So, you know, I really do appreciate everything that you guys have done from Johnny Montalbano to Brian Marbach to myself. This has been an awesome tradition that we've kept on going. I'm looking forward to bringing Fonz DeFalco back as we have revealed our new show that will be coming to review and preview. That'll be, let's see, we got our show, we got Hank's show, we got Big Blue Avenue, we're going to have Fonz's show, and then we're going to have Paul's show coming back. So that's five shows for review and preview sports once the time October rolls around. We're going to be busy. Yeah. Very, very busy. Very excited. Folks, on that note, on behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching this special 10-year anniversary of Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Have a good night.